Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. There's so much learning that needs to go on. It's not all about eating. It's such a pity if babies are denied that early period of just looking at food, munching on it, spitting it out again, and just getting acquainted with it just because they're not actually ready to eat it. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Why is baby-led weaning called baby-led weaning? I didn't realize I've been thinking about it until we keep this Google sheet of subject line inspiration. So from other emails that you're subscribed to, for no other reason than I just study their subject lines, and one came across the other day, it said, where did the DOP kit get its name? And I was like, uh, where did Baby Led Weaning get its name? Hold up. Let's ask Jill Rapley, who is the pioneer of Baby Led Weaning, the founding philosopher, as I like to refer to her. Jill Rapley wrote the original Baby Led Weaning book. She's been on the podcast a number of times talking about the history of Baby Led Weaning and the future of Baby Led Weaning and the biggest myths about Baby Led Weaning. So she's the person who, she hates it when we say this, but invented Baby Led Weaning. So I'd like to say she founded the philosophy, the movement, baby led weaning as you know it today is only what it is because of the work that Jill Rapley did. So I wanted to ask her, where did baby led weaning get its name? So if you like words, I love words. My husband makes fun of me because like I stink at numbers. 
but I'll like rock a crossword puzzle. Just a words person. And Jill Rapley loves words. She's British. I'm American. So the terms weaning mean different things to us. We're going to kind of go through some of the semantics and the differences in terminology and why it's called baby led weaning. Just kind of a fun conversation about the words that we choose around feeding our babies and just an opportunity to hear from Jill Rapley. I'm always so gracious when she shares the history of baby led weaning with us, but she's also working on some really exciting current projects as well. So with no further ado, here is Jill Rapley talking about how baby led weaning got its name. Thank you for inviting me again. I love speaking to you. So as the pioneer of baby led weaning, could you give us a little background or insight into your choice of the name baby led weaning? How did that come to be? Well, we can talk a little bit later about the meaning of the word weaning, but in the UK, which is where I'm based, it's generally taken to mean the introduction of solid foods. And so I was just describing what I saw by method about an approach which allowed the baby to make the decisions. And to me, it matched when babies decide to walk or crawl or talk or whatever, that's within the baby's gift to make that decision. And I saw that happening with babies who were allowed to start feeding solid foods when they wanted to. So I didn't, I didn't know that it was going to become a thing. So I wasn't choosing a name in order to be like a slogan. I was just describing what I saw. So it's not very exciting or romantic that that's how it came about. Sometimes those are the best stories. Like, no, that's what it is. The baby is leading the way and they're weaning. And we will get to the talk about weaning in a second. One thing I love in the past when we've spoken is that when you shared your history of kind of how this philosophy approach movement came to be, you sometimes say that it wasn't that the baby didn't like the food. It didn't like the feeding that was being done to them. And I think that for a lot of parents, that's where baby led weaning clicks for them. Oh, I don't have to do this to the baby because the baby can do it to themselves. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy words. And it occurs to me that actually feeding can mean two things. We talk about feeding a baby or feeding our family. But when we talk about animals feeding, we're talking about them eating. So when babies, and we have this thing about breastfeeding, do we feed babies at the breast or do babies feed at the breast? It's just a bit of a minefield and fascinating to me. But yes, in general, feeding seems to have the connotation that's sort of something being done to the baby. So weaning is different from that. And in our content, you know, we're certainly in an era where we're examining all of the choice of words that we use, breast milk versus human milk, and now, you know, breast and chest feeding, and, you know, trying to incorporate so many different approaches to building a family, feeding a family, raising a family. And even the word feeding, which I think a lot of people just slides off their tongue, but we've actually switched to using the word offer whenever possible. So cut the foods into strips the size of your adult pinky finger and offer it to the baby instead of feeding to the baby, because which to some parents might mean shoving that food in the baby's mouth, which is certainly not aligned with the baby led approach. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about offering in the same way you would offer to uh, another adult or to an older child. Can we talk about the word weaning? It tends to mean different things depending upon whether you're in the United States as I am or the United Kingdom as you are. And I'm sure other parts of the world have different interpretations. What does weaning mean to you, Jill Rapley from the UK? It's easier to start with what it doesn't mean or, or just to backpedal a little bit and talk about what you've just said, that the, how it means different things in different places. So 
at one end of the spectrum, we've got folk, uh, I believe in, in America, and I know in other places, they may talk about weaning the baby off the breast onto the bottle. So it's all about the breast. I prefer to think about if we're weaning onto a, a bottle, then we're, we're talking about that being a breast milk substitute, which is what formula milk is. So actually, we should think of those together because what we're really talking about, from as far as I see it, is not just the food. It's about the baby's vulnerability and dependence on the mom, or obviously if you're formula feeding or, or feeding, offering breast milk by bottle, that can be the other parent too. But it's about the baby and what he or she needs and how dependent they are on an adult for their nutrition and to keep them safe. And that's something that's changing at around six months, which is why we now have six months as a minimum age. So it's not just to do with how the adult is offering or giving food to the baby. It's about the baby and his needs. Then at the other end, we have the meaning of weaning as the end of breastfeeding, or some would argue formula feeding as well. But that very last breastfeed, some people call that weaning. The best way I have to think about it is that it's both. It's both of those things and it's everything in between. So weaning is a process, a long process that's going to take a minimum of a few months and a maximum of, of many months, 18 months or even years. And it's about that baby relinquishing his dependence on the parent for that level of nutrition and safety from illness and so on. And that's going to take a long time. Now, there's there have always been books written about the end of breastfeeding and whether that should be child-led, you know, who, who makes that decision, can the mom say, I've had enough now, and so on. And it's recognized that the baby might be the one to make that decision, and maybe you know, some would argue should be. But at the other end, when he has his first mouthful of something which is not breast milk or formula, that is weaning. That is the beginning, the very, very beginning of that change in his dependence on the mom. How often does he get a say about when that should happen? That's been nearly always decided for him. And I wanted to embrace that sense that this is a process for him that begins at a point that we haven't always recognized. And the other meaning of weaning is the end of breastfeeding happens much later. Quite a lot of, uh, of authors do actually emphasize both ends of weaning and say that it's that whole process and what we what is talked about in some cases, like in the UK, the first mouthful of solids is actually just the beginning of weaning. And what is talked about in terms of the end of breastfeeding is the end of weaning. But neither of them is weaning. It's everything in between. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And I love that it's not black and white. It's a gray area. You mentioned it's a process. I sometimes say it's a 
continuum. We're helping your baby move along with ultimately, I'm, I'm a dietitian, so I'm always coming at it from a nutrition standpoint. You start out when your baby is getting all of their nutrition from infant milk, be that breast milk and or formula. And we're working towards a time around the one-year mark where baby will get the majority of their nutrition from food and be less reliant on infant milk. Now, when is it 100%? Does it switch off? That varies for many different babies, but babies need those weaning months, that practice period to get more proficient at achieving nutrition from food because they don't wake up on their six-month birthday and magically know how to eat 100 different foods. And yet I'm still surprised. We even had one of the gals who works for us. She has a background in tech. She had her first baby and she was doing a lot of the implementation stuff for us and starting getting ready to start solid foods with her baby. She called me the night before they were going to start and said, Katie, I'm so sad. Does this mean it's my last time breastfeeding if we start solid foods together? And I just put my head in my hands because I thought, am I doing a terrible job of educating about this topic? Because no, we don't just flip the switch and turn off breast milk and turn on food. It's a month long period. And it really helped us kind of change the language that we use in educating because not all parents know that. And so I think it's important to keep re-messaging and, and re-sharing this message that it's a long period and it's a gradual transition and nothing's happening overnight here. Jill, how do you feel about some people referring to baby-led feeding versus weaning? I, again, personally and professionally try to avoid using the term feeding since the implication there would be the parent is doing the feeding to the baby. But in your eyes, is there a big difference between baby-led feeding and baby-led weaning? Or are we basically talking about the same thing here? I don't think there's really a difference in where it's coming from. The concept of being baby-led, responding to the baby, it's about responsive feeding or parenting, care. But I'm not happy using the term baby-led feeding to describe what I see as baby-led weaning because baby-led feeding is broader than that. And that term was already in use in relation to breast and, and formula feeding before baby-led weaning kind of was born. So that term was already out there. It's not specific enough for me to apply just to the business of solid feeding and the changeover from total reliance on milk to total reliance on other foods. And that's the bit that I want to encapsulate. So the concept, the motivation, the, the understanding of what it means to be responsive and allow the baby to lead way spans all of that. But in terms of using the word baby-led feeding, because it has to cover both, the uniqueness of the weaning period is lost if we, if we just opt for that. And I know sometimes it's just a matter of semantics, but in the United States, I don't know if you're familiar with the WIC program, our Women, Infant, and Children program. And mm -hmm. for the listeners, if you have not heard of it, about half of all babies born in the United States participate in the WIC program. And it's a government nutrition assistance program that provides education and financial resources for pregnant and postpartum and breastfeeding women and then infant and children up to age five to get nutritious foods, et cetera. So I speak at our state WIC associations around the country every year about many topics related to baby-led weaning and infant feeding. And yet, because it's this very large government program and they have all these guidelines, they don't love the term baby-led weaning. So whenever I pitch the topics, I learned very quickly, if it said baby-led weaning in the title, oh no, sorry, we're not allowed to talk about that okay, so we would change the topic to a baby-led approach to weaning. And then all of a sudden they would accept the proposal and we can speak and teach about it because it's so very much aligned with responsive feeding. And the WIC program is very well known for doing a great job of educating parents about responsive breastfeeding, responsive bottle feeding, responsive feeding in solid foods. 
we just changed the name of it and they're open to learning about it as well as all of the research that supports this approach. I just always think it's funny. You have to, in some groups, you know, sometimes play the game and that might just mean switching around a few of the words. I think that's the same in, in some other countries too. In the UK, uh, certainly it's the case that baby led weaning is not formally advocated, but as things have changed over the last 20 years and um, People have softened to the ideas and listened to what baby led reading was saying about if babies have the skill to feed themselves, why would you need to do it to them? Such that the general advice now on our National Health Service websites and so on, what they describe is almost baby led weaning. 100%. And the research that they cite is very often Amy Brown's research, and it says baby led weaning in the title of the publications. Yes, it's just because it's seen as a sort of a cult thing. They don't want to use that phrase. And I might add a small win, at least here in the United States, is that the USDA's Food and Nutrition Service, so they have an infant nutrition and feeding guide that WIC uses. And in the latest revision, there is a little side box that says baby led weaning. And you wouldn't notice it in a massive multi-hundred page document. But when it showed up, I said, this is everything. That's where it starts. It's the crack in the door where we're citing the research that supports a baby-led approach to starting solid foods, because there is, it, it is not a cult. There is a real incredible body of research that supports this. And seeing that incorporated into the government program that serves almost half of the babies in the United States is incredibly important, although it is certainly a very small step. I think one of the problems or issues is that it's, it is a whole different mindset. And if we're going to come at it from the angle of the baby, which is where what I like to think of it as, then we actually have to change so much of the language that is currently used to describe the way mothers and dads should introduce solid foods to their babies. And one of the big things for me is the signs of readiness. You know, why do you need signs of readiness unless you're planning to do something to the baby and you need to know when is the right time or when might be too early or too late? You don't look for signs of readiness before you give your baby the opportunity to walk. You just give him the opportunity to walk. And if he's not ready, he doesn't do it. If we would just take the same approach to eating and give our babies the opportunity to pick up food, if they're not able to, they won't do it. And what saddens me is that still in the UK, often talked about as a sign of readiness is that the baby can swallow the food. But that demands that someone put it in their mouth. Otherwise, how are you going to test that? And as you have alluded to, there's so much learning that needs to go on. It's not all about eating. And it's such a pity if babies are denied that early period of just looking at food and munching on it and spitting it out again and just getting acquainted with it just because they're not actually ready to eat it. Maybe it's because I'm not a nutritionist, but I really am more focused on the child development aspect of it and the baby's experience. And I know how food is so much more than just actually eating it and digestion and so on. And if babies have that opportunity to explore food and get to know it and make discoveries about it before they need to eat it, that allows them the time so that the pressure is not on them to eat it. So I don't like the fact that they apparently have to be ready to swallow the food before they're allowed to even touch it. That's a, a sadness for me. And it's one of the things that I think is, is an example of how the whole mindset needs to change if we're really going to embrace baby led weaning. And if I can add somewhere where dietitians need to change the mindset, and I know this, I am a college nutrition professor and I teach our future professionals about nutrition throughout the life cycle. And yet in the 15th edition of the textbook that we use, they still talk about starting solid foods by pushing a spoon of rice cereal into a baby's mouth. And that's wrong on so many levels. It is so outdated. And yet 
it's what's in the curriculum. And dietitians, I would argue, get this focus on how much the baby is eating. And they push these messages that stress parents out when, how could you possibly expect a solid food to provide nutrition for a baby before the baby even knows how to eat it? So we need to do a better job of understanding the developmental changes that are occurring in the latter half of infancy as we go to craft and tailor our messages for teaching parents about making this transition. And that's why it's so important that infant feeding be approached from a multidisciplinary approach. The developmental people aren't equipped to deal with it on their own. The SLPs, the occupational therapists, the dietitians, we all need to be working in tandem because there are so many things going on in this really important transitional period for the baby. And if we all start with the baby, then we can work together with no problem. It's less work if you let the baby do the thing that they were allowed to do. That's what I always try to tell parents. And they come back, you know, you were right. This is less work. This is less stress. And it is true because when they're ready to do it, they'll do what they are physiologically capable of doing. It is on us to make sure, you know, it's safe and we're offering the foods properly and get a variety, but that comes later. Your baby needs lots of time to practice. Yeah. You mentioned, we were, we were talking a little bit about verbiage here in this episode. I'm going to start a separate episode that's like words in my language I've changed and what I learned from Jill Rapley. A few things. You talk about, and I, I, you mentioned the signs of readiness and how kind of silly the concept is in and of itself, but I've heard you say the reliable signs of readiness to eat. And I like that choice of the words. And we've done other episodes and I'll link to them where you explain why, you know, the tongue thrust and disappearance of the tongue thrust reflex is kind of a moot point at six months of age because it harkens back to an era of when we started solid foods at four months. So I love that choice of the word reliable. The other one you use is infant milk. So infant milk encompassing both human milk and infant formula. I know you are a breastfeeding expert and advocate. And I just like that that term infant milk kind of makes everybody comfortable. And we're talking about solid foods here, but we're acknowledging that infant milk is still providing the majority of baby's nutrition as we go through the weaning process. So the words we choose do matter. And I think you do a wonderful job of, of teaching us about the words. And I wanted to ask you if baby led weaning is baby led and the introduction of solid foods in recent history has been parent led. What do you call the opposite of baby-led weaning when you are speaking and writing and teaching about baby-led weaning? I'm tending to use parent-led a little bit more nowadays um, because it seems okay to say that, but it was a bit scary in the beginning. It sounded rather vicious and as if parents were somehow going to be aggressive with their babies, but it, it is what it is. It is parent-led. But um, mostly I tend to talk about conventional weaning. The word I don't use is traditional. A lot of people use the word traditional weaning as the as being the opposite, if you like, of baby-led weaning. But tradition depends on the culture that you grow up in. Traditions vary throughout the world, and many, many cultures traditionally would let their babies feed themselves to a much greater degree than the US or the UK anyway. So I don't like traditional because we don't know what, what that means for an individual person. But conventional, in terms of Western current modern society, that, that's probably a reasonable word. It's not just about spoon feeding and it's not just about purees. That's the other thing I think that's important. And it's why I don't use those words, because those are feeding methods. And spoon feeding, if you like, is the opposite of self-feeding. Purees is the sort of opposite of, of offering whole pieces of food if you want to make it black and white. But neither of those things is the opposite of baby-led weaning. A baby-led weaning is an approach which encompasses self-feeding and handheld foods and uh, shared mealtimes with adults and children eating together and choices of good food and respect for the baby's appetite. It's much wider than simply uh, spoon-feeding. 
Baby-led weaning is an approach which trusts the baby, believes him whether whether he's ready to eat, how much he wants to eat, which foods he wants to eat. And it's that trust that isn't quite there if we're spoon feeding, especially if we're trying to give the baby a few spoonfuls at the end of a meal just to make sure he's had enough. That takes away the baby-ledness. By all means, do a combination of spoon feeding and self-feeding, but that is probably actually what conventional weaning is if you start at six months. It's not baby-led weaning. And actually, the name matters not just for to be sure that parents understand each other, because if one parent hears it from another parent who did something slightly different, what actually baby-led weaning is gets distorted. But it also matters hugely for research. We're not going to be able to show whether baby-led weaning has benefits in terms of health and long-term relationship with food if we aren't defining it correctly, because we can't compare it with an, an alternative. And I think that's a very important point. It's the research that will drive the acceptance of this approach when we continue to see the data that supports this as a viable and safe alternative to, as you say, conventional parent-led spoon feeding. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And if you guys are interested more in the, the concept of combo feeding, I think Jill is very eloquent in the way she puts it. And we did a separate interview on episode 200. It was called Combo Feeding. Can I do BLW plus traditional spoon feeding together? And now that I look at that title, I think, gosh, shoot, we should change that to conventional. And that was with Jill Rapley. And she explains more about that. Again, that's in episode 200. So Jill, I am guilty of this, but I am a fast talker. And I have heard people say that when I introduce the concept of baby led weaning, they sometimes hear baby linguini. So I'm curious if... When you were starting your career, if you were starting all over again and you were championing this baby-led cause and movement and philosophy and approach, would you still call it baby-led weaning or would you call it something else if you were given the chance to start all over again? I think in the early years, I might have been rattled. I was a bit rattled by the fact that weaning meant different things in different places. But once I found the confidence to say no. Weaning begins with the first solid foods, it ends with the last feed of infant milk, and it's everything in between. I think actually now I would still choose baby-led weaning because it's it tells us about the baby's agency. It's actually called baby-led solids in Australia, and that's okay. But again, it only really deals with that end of weaning. And although I don't talk about it much, I'm equally interested in the other end of weaning, the end of, of infant milk feeding, and how the baby is allowed to have a say in that. But as I say, people have dealt with that in the past, so I haven't majored in that area, the beginning that fascinates me more. But I think in order to recognize what weaning means to the baby and that whole vulnerability, dependence, and choice thing that, that revolves around the baby, I probably would choose the same words again. If only just to keep that debate alive about what does weaning mean? Not just what does it mean in terms of words, but what does it mean for the baby? That would be lost if I chose a different terminology. Well, Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat about this. I know it's kind of a different sort of topic, but I'm just so interested in hearing the history of of how this whole approach came to be. And I like that the term baby-led weaning 
despite other things that might fluctuate and research that comes out, it's consistently been what you've called it since you first coined the term. And I appreciate your forthrightness of, no, you can't do combo feeding. No, it's not baby-led feeding. It's not traditional that we're against. It's conventional. Or, you know, I like that you stand your ground. I think in an era when especially a lot of, you know, people are, are so, well, if they don't like this, I'm going to change this word. You're very consistent in your language and that that's important. And one thing where I see that really shining through is you've always been an advocate for the importance of waiting until six months plus when the baby is really ready. It doesn't happen before six months. And you say that confidently and that gives other parents confidence to say when they're hearing from, oh, I should start at four months. No, from credentialed feeding professionals who specialize this and have written and spoken and researched it extensively, we wait until six months. And that's so important. That's why we made baby-led weaning day on July 1st, the six-month point of the year, because that's the message that you put out there. And when you mention, you know, what would conventional spoon feeding look like if we waited until six months? I hear it every day from parents, Jill. They message us, they email us on workshops. They say, my baby was annoyed when I tried to put the spoon in their mouth. They use that term annoying. And I know so much of this is so hard to document because it is subjective and it's anecdotal. But I'll tell you from my experience, working with tens of thousands of moms now, they say, my baby's annoyed when I try to do that. Of course they're annoyed because they can do it for themselves if we wait until six months of age when they're truly ready. And thank you very much for this opportunity to bring together my love of words and my passion for baby-led weaning. Nobody's really invited me to speak for this length of time on, on those two things which come together so well. And so that's been a great opportunity. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing your time. I appreciate it. And tell our audience where they can go to learn more about your work. Well, I have a website, uh, rapidlyweaning.com. I also have another one which is under construction at the moment that I'm devising with Tracy Merkitt, who I wrote my original books with. And that's all about blw.com. I'm also just finishing a book with Jill Rabin, who has her own website in the States and is active on Instagram, which is a book is about baby led weaning adapted for babies who have feeding challenges. So you can find out more from Jill Rabin's Instagram. And we'll be having, I think, both you and Jill Rabin on together. We're going to talk a little bit when that book comes out a little bit later to learn more about that approach. Jill's been on separately talking about adapted baby led weaning, but I'm so excited for this book. And I know you guys have been literally burning the midnight oil on it. So I, I hope the reviews are going well and I can't wait to see it because I think it's an, a very important resource for parents around the world who want to take this approach but have been historically told, oh no, you can't do baby led weaning if your baby has Down syndrome. Well, why not? Here are perfect examples of babies doing it successfully and here's how you do it and here's how you modify it. And especially for the feeding therapy community, just to have that support of a publication written by you and Jill Rabin is so important. All right, well, thank you so much, Jill. Thank you, bye. I love chatting with Jill Rapley. I am always so grateful when we get a chance to hear some of the history and also hear about some of the exciting projects that she's working on today. We've had Jill on the podcast a number of times. So if you'd like to learn more from the person who created and laid the foundation for this entire philosophy that you're interested in learning about, I want to share a couple of other episodes that Jill is in. And I'll link all of those in the show notes for this episode. So if you go to blwpodcast.com slash 241 or look below where you're listening to this, you can find that page, but also other episodes if you're just scrolling back in your podcast listening app thing. Jill was on, I think it was first in episode 100. Uh, we were celebrating the 100th episode of the Baby Led Weaning Podcast. And that was the first time I interviewed her. So that was an interview called The History of BLW with its founding philosopher, Jill Rapley. That was part one. Episode 102 is The Future of BLW with its founding philosopher, Jill Rapley. That was part two. So that's episode 100 and 102. 
And then she was back on in episode 142, debunking the biggest BLW myths with Jill Rapley. And then she was on again in episode 200. That was the combo feeding one. That's where when people say, can I do baby led weaning plus traditional, which apparently I should call conventional spoon feeding together. She was like, no, you can't. And it's always a tough question for me to answer and people ask, but she has way better way of saying it because she's the one who created baby led weaning. That's episode 200. If you're feeling like, I want to do some baby led weaning, but I also want to spoon feed my baby. She'll tell you why she feels that that's not the best choice. But she also says, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do, but if you're calling it baby led weaning and you are putting the spoon in your baby's mouth, that is not baby led weaning. She's not saying it's bad to do that, but she's saying, especially from a research standpoint, it's so important that we define what baby led weaning is. And then also she was on an episode, well, this one, 241. How did baby led weaning get its name with Jill Rapley? That's the rundown of the Jill Rapley episode. She also was a keynote speaker at our baby led weaning summit. She'll be speaking again at this year's baby led weaning summit. More information on that is coming up shortly and she'll be back on the podcast in a few episodes with Jill Rabin, the adapted baby led weaning expert who's also a speech language pathologist and Jill and Jill wrote a book together. They're gonna be sharing about how they came to write a book cross Atlantic in the middle of a pandemic, but I'm so excited for this book and can't wait to share it with you guys. So thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Head to blwpodcast.com, search Rapley. It'll do a much more concise job of showing you everywhere where she's been on the podcast. Take care. Bye now. From the terrifying power of tornadoes to sizzling summer temperatures, AccuWeather Daily brings you the top trending weather-related story of the day, seven days a week. You can learn a lot in just a few minutes with stories about impending hurricanes, winter storms, or even what not to miss in the night sky. So listen and subscribe to AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's AccuWeather Daily wherever you get your podcasts.